0: hey guys welcome to the fellowship greenville students podcast this week hannah tom talks about rethinking worship and how we worship personally and together as the church body she talks about how the posture of our hearts reflects how we worship corporately as the body of christ we look at romans 15 verses 1 through 6 and how living in harmony and unity with one another affects our worship we hope you enjoy this message hello Teacher Tom. Hello. My name is Hannah if I haven't met you yet. Um, Trenton said teacher Tom. I frequent at Southside Christian School as a substitute. Trenton called me Hannah first. I don't know when it switched to teacher Tom. It's pretty funny. I still laugh. <laughs> um, so yeah. I am here today to talk about worship. Super fun. So the middle school has been going through a series on worship. And Remember, I was talking to Matt, like, oh, do you ever need me to teach again? Like, is there ever, like, a, like, would it ever be helpful or anything? He was like, oh, yeah, like, definitely, let's get you in there. I was like, okay, I'm teaching in middle school and worship on the 16th, so probably any time but that day. And Matt said, that's perfect. Let's do that day. <laughs> Repeat it that night, do worship again, uh, but make it a twist for high school. So that's what we're going to talk about. Um, the first thing I'm going to do is basically talk about my history with worship a little bit uh, for a couple minutes. So, I grew up in a youth group, much smaller than this. I'm gonna say, all my ninth graders, will you raise your hand, please? My ninth grade small group girls, will you keep your hands up, please? Okay, so like the size of this like, group of girls right there and the couple back there, <laughs> um, that's about how big my, yeah, my heavy metal ninth grade girls, um, how big my entire youth group was. So picture that. Earlier tonight, we are talking about how all the Southside seniors are gone, so it's like a small crowd tonight. Imagine how small the crowd was whenever my youth group met. Literally like 10 girls and three boys, if we got lucky, maybe there was like a larger handful of people if we we invited friends. Oh, perfect, Scott has some pictures up for us. So there's like the grand picture, um, like if we all were there with a couple friends. Um, I had seven different youth pastors in seven years, so keep that in mind. We did not have a going away party for every single one of them, but we really liked the one in the middle and the bottom there, her name's Brooke. We liked her, so we threw her a party, but not the other youth pastors. We only had one youth pastor, not like six, not a massive church like this. Do we have another picture? There's a cute one. So that one's really good. We're about to go on a mission trip there. Um, But we didn't have any kind of worship band for a long, long, long time. We did not understand what contemporary worship was at all. All we knew was what we sang in church in the mornings on Sundays with our parents. And that was from hymnals. So you guys don't have pews here, but imagine there's a pew. There are always a lot of little books inside of it, and they were called hymnals. Has anyone ever actually opened a hymnal in this room? <gasps> nice. Very many of you. That's so cool. So my mom would stand. My dad worked nights, so he wasn't always at church with us in the morning. So my mom would stand in church, and me and my little sister would be on either side of her. She would stand here with the hymnal, um, and we would look on with her and like read the words, but we didn't really sing them, and it was like, really quiet, singing like this. Like people are barely singing, not very expressive. No one raised their hands in worship. Um, It was gentle and sweet. My mom always harmonized. I think that's why I harmonize with songs now. Like if I ever mess up singing at FGS, I'm probably singing a harmony on accident instead of the melody because I just grew up listening to my mom sing harmonies. So I do that a lot and I think it's kind of funny. but we grew up with people singing hymnals and the only contemporary Christian music I ever heard was the stuff on the radio that I thought was super cheesy and I didn't like. So like the song that I think of immediately every single time I think of like the worship songs that I didn't like growing up is like, our God by Chris Tomlin, like, our God is greater. That was the one, if they played that, in, like, if they played that at summer church camp, I was like, I'm gonna sit down. And I'm like, this ain't it for me. I mean, I didn't sing any of them. I didn't sing in front of anyone until I was like 17 years old. I would literally maybe sing after school or in the shower if no one was home, but I didn't sing in front of anyone. I even got cut from my senior musical in high school because they just had never heard me sing before. So we had no youth band a very small youth group, and in church, all we knew was the hymnals and the hymns, which I have grown to love a lot more over the years. Fellowship Greenville has helped a ton with that. When I interned two years ago, Jim Thompson was like, we're going to change that. (laughs) Um, So that's what I grew up with knowing as worship. It was standing quietly. The kids don't sing, the parents do. No one put their hands in the air, forget moving around. You're standing still in the pews, no space to move. You're all just looking forward as the organist plays his song, and you're singing maybe along with your parents when you're older. But that was it. Nothing else. Um, That's what I thought was worship. That's what I gave it as like a description. Like, this is my visual, a hymnal in this small church, small youth group. We would literally have food, do small groups, which was boys and girls, and then do like a devotional. No singing, no praise, nothing like that. So you can imagine our surprise, the very first time we ever saw people raising their hands in worship. So, can we go to the picture with the van again? And keep that up there during this little story here. So this is our little group. We went on, this is like the core. Like the other picture was like the extended, like friends invited and the part-time comers. This is like the core group here. And I would say four of those girls, are the only people I still see when I go home to Wisconsin. Um, like, four of my best friends from home are in that picture there. And we decided our junior year, Brooke, well, my junior year in high school, so 2011, throwback, right? This is a very vintage-looking picture, I can tell. Um, 2011, Brooke, the youth pastor we celebrated, took us on our very first mission trip to, Jop- or to Mississippi. It was to Mississippi that year. And I remember not very much of it at all. I don't remember a song. I don't remember a sermon. I just remember that was the first time when I was 17 years old, summer when I was 17. Who's 17 in this room right now? Raise your hand. I was your age. Yes, congratulations, soon to be seniors. Maybe you're a senior, not yet 18. That was the first time I felt like God did anything in my heart on that trip. I wouldn't say I got saved on that trip, I didn't make any big move, but quietly for myself personally, that's when something moved in my heart, something changed. I was like, wait, the music they're playing on this trip is okay. It's not cheesy, it's not boring. I'm not going to sing it yet, but it's okay. So. Even though I would say none of us in my youth group at that time, to my best knowledge, were like active Christians. Like we grew up in the church. We said we believed in God. We said we were Christians. But in hindsight now, I know my, I myself was definitely not actually a Christian. I was not actually following God. But all of us were like, that's new. So, of course, senior year, half of us, half the picture. So the tallest guy in the back making the stone-cold face. Brent was our drummer. Mark, to his right with the hat, played bass. Craig, to his right. Occasionally played like tambourine or something. Um, He wanted to be there. He wanted to be there. And then me, I'm in the back middle. I told my youth pastor, Brooke, who's not in this picture, that I wanted to sing. The boys laughed because they'd never heard me sing. So they're like, is that a joke? I was like, no. (laughs) And then Alyssa, to my left in that picture, also sang. And that was it. That was our youth band. And we played once a month in big, big church, quote unquote, Um, it was called the Saved by Grace Band. Our church was Grace Lutheran. So that was our little youth band, and we played worship songs. The first worship song I ever sang or led was Great I Am by the Baby New Life Worship. I should have Googled it after middle school, but I didn't. Great I Am, the song, super great, love it. Um, And the one we did tonight, At Your Name, was the second one I sang. I did not notice that until we were singing it. And we still didn't believe, but we liked what we were doing. We knew what, what the songs we were singing were better and different. And our hearts were still slowly moving that year. But this picture was taken now. So you're tracking with where our hearts were on this trip, right? So our hearts are stirred, our hearts are inclined towards God and interested and peaked. So this is after my senior year. So again, not many seniors in the room, but seniors, raise your hand. So I was your age, and this was probably june or july we were going on a next step mission trip so a lot of you have been to lexington this was a next step trip we went with next step um growing up and we were going to joplin missouri this time and we still hadn't seen anyone raise their hands and worship ever in our lives keep that in mind for some reason in mississippi they were also all northern like lutheran churches who went on that trip so we're going on the trip and my youth group for some reason thought we were too cool for school and Usually the first night of the trip you get there and you have dinner like with all of the other churches' youth groups and then you go into worship and orientation and then you all go to bed to get ready for the week of the mission trip, right? We didn't do that. We, <laughs> we told our, our new youth pastor, the guy Eric in the bottom there, he was the new youth pastor for that year. We told Eric, Eric, we're going to Sonic for dinner. We're not going to eat with the other churches, We don't want to hang out with them. We don't want to get to know them. I I don't know why we were this way, but we were this way. We don't want anything to do with them. So we went to Sonic, and then not only did we skip dinner with everyone and not get to know any of the staff members, leaders, or churches, we also came in late then to worship by like 15 minutes, which if you know me now... It's the polar opposite because my ninth graders and I run in here and put our Bibles down to save our chairs, so it's kind of funny. We intentionally showed up 15 minutes late, me and Brent leading the charge, and we walk in, and we were really confused because everyone had their hands up, and they were all singing loudly together, and that's not something we were used to at all. Like We had our little youth band, but like no one sang with us in church when we'd sing those songs. No one praised and worshipped as you guys know it and see it and do it. We were confused. So, we're going to look at our buddy Mark now, second from the right there with the hat, smiling, white (laughs) t-shirt. As we walked into the service, 15 minutes late, post-Sonic, don't care about anyone or anything, we walk in, Mark had a crush on this girl, Mackenzie, blonde, youth pastor's daughter from a different church, really awesome girl, really good heart, still Facebook friends with her, super awesome, strong Christian girl. Mark walks in and gives her a massive high five as she's praising the Lord. <laughs> so you can imagine her youth pastor dad, his eyes, we all turn and we're like, <sighs> going straight dead into Mark's heart and looking straight into his soul because of what he just did. We had no idea what they were doing. We were so confused as to why they were all freaking out. Because we're like, w- what are you doing? I don't get it. Like, We didn't understand why they were raising their hands. We didn't understand what the point of it was. What are they worshipping? What are they doing? Why are they doing it? We don't get it. We don't have that. And every single youth group there knew. Like, they, by the end of the week, we had a lot of really good conversations, and I I got saved, like, at the super end of that week. It's a funny story. But... um, They knew we were different, they knew we didn't want anything to do with them, they knew we didn't want their help, we didn't want to have conversations with them, we didn't want to worship whoever they were worshiping with them because that wasn't who we thought God was. We were cold and set apart and we wanted it that way. So keep that in mind now. Now I have a question, so we can take that picture down. Does anyone's mom in this room like to garden? Does any of you like to garden? Have any of you ever, like, taken care of a plant, maybe in, like, class or something, or your mom was like, can you water my flowers? Like, you've all, like, somehow taken care of a plant or something somewhere. Maybe you have apple trees. I don't know. What we're going to do tonight is think about our personal faith as a garden. I want you guys to, with me, close your eyes if you want to, picture your backyard. We're going to look at mine in a second. And... As we build this image tonight, just think of your personal faith as a garden. It's filled with different plants and trees. Maybe you have berries and fruits and raspberries, colorful flowers, yellow flowers. Maybe they're all green plants. You don't like the colors of the flowers. I don't know what it is, but picture your faith as a garden. We're all growing something. We're all watering something. We're all planting seeds in our heart somewhere, right? So, I'm going to show you some pictures of my mom's garden. She has a lot of hobbies. This is one of them. So here is my backyard growing up. Um, That's our little patio that my parents built. Behind that is an outhouse, a really, really old outhouse from like the 20s. And my mom let this overgrowth take over it because she thought it was beautiful. And you can see a bigger garden there in the background with the sun filtering, filtering near it. Do we have another picture? Here's this one. My mom had like six different gardens over the yard. This is one of her favorite ones. She liked the way that the vines crawled up the side of the railing there. She liked also that little trellis-looking thing um, that also carried the vines, and she would weave them and try and make them grow different ways. She really took care of it and loved them. Her Facebook is cluttered only with flower pictures. She's one of those moms. (laughs) It's literally pictures of our cats and her flowers and her current hobby, which is soap-making, but that's a whole different thing. Point is, she cares deeply about her gardens. So much so, I think there's one more picture you didn't show, Scott. It's really funny. This is me and my sister in high school. She wanted us to take So I was in band, I played flute, my sister played violin, and every single picture she took of us was in front of one of her gardens. It was always a different one. (laughs) But she cared so much about them and took such good care of them. That it was just always the case. Yeah, I was, I think, a senior. I don't know. Um, but I thought it was funny that literally every single picture of us growing up was in front of one of her gardens because she cared so much about them and she tended to them all the time and it's just her thing. It's where her heart was. So, what, what does any of this have to do with worship? That's a very good question. If you guys can open up to Romans 15:1 through 6. I'm going to pray... And then we're going to read about Romans. Dear God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the word that you've given us and the words you speak to us and the way you move in our hearts and our lives, God. I just pray that as we read into your scriptures tonight and talk about you and worshiping you, that you would just enlighten our hearts and move in our hearts and that you would just let the Holy Spirit flood this room and flood spaces we didn't know existed in our souls, God, and that you would just overwhelm us, with a desire to understand more of you and worship you more, God. And I just pray that you would allow us to do that tonight and be in communion with you. In your name I pray, amen. Romans 15. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who approached me who approached you, fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through, the endurance, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, that we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I find it super helpful sometimes to read the paraphrase. I did this with middle school, and I got good feedback, so I'm going to read it here, too. The message version paraphrases it super well. Um, So listen to this one, knowing that it's the same exact passage. Those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter and not just do what is most convenient for us. Strength is a service, not a status. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles, but waited right in and helped out. I took on the troubles of the troubled as the way scripture puts it. Even if it was written in scriptures long ago, you can be sure it was written for us. God wants the combination of his steady, constant calling and warm personal counsel in scripture to come to characterize us, keeping us alert for whatever he will do next. May our dependably steady and warmly personal God develop maturity in you so that you get along with one another as well as Jesus gets along with us. Then we'll be a, then we'll be a choir, not our voices only, but our very lives singing in harmony in a stunning anthem to God the Father of our Master Jesus." There's two main things I wanna look at here that really help us understand the passage. Oh, and if you're taking notes, this message is titled Redefining Worship. I think the last two weeks we're redefining something in tonight's worship. Um, and it's kind of in the vein of like, what, what is corporate worship? What is personal worship? That's what the middle school topic was. So in a lot of ways I hope this helps you clarify um, in your hearts and minds like what it means to worship with people and what it means for you to worship as yourself. And the two passages we're looking at are going to help explain that. And this one's looking more so at, as a body of believers, how do we worship together as one? And the two subjects that are really going to help us see this are, who are the weak and the strong? Like, what what are they? Who are they? Why are they weak? Why are they strong? And what does it mean to be in harmony with one another? What does that look like? So, the weak and the strong what does that mean? Does it mean, do you guys think it means like physically weak or physically strong? Mm -mm, No. Okay, quiet. Um, It doesn't. So Romans 14 describes mostly what it means, um, but Romans 15 is what we're looking at. So I'm going to summarize basically what weak and strong means. And if you want to look back at Romans 14 later, it super helps. Um, So at this time, the Jewish Roman culture used to follow a lot of laws that were required for them to have faith in God, right? Like it's the Old Testament laws. And a lot of people still, even though they became actual Christians, wanted to follow some of these laws because they thought it helped them in their faith, and it did help them in their faith. Um, some of these being they wouldn't eat certain things and they wouldn't drink certain things, um, And a lot of people today still do that too. So like a lot of people I know, a lot of Christians abstain from drinking because they think it does not help their faith. So they just don't do it. It doesn't support it. But some Christians also do drink because they don't find a problem with it. But those who do uh, find a problem with it abstain from it because it doesn't help them. And I have a couple vegan Christian friends who specifically like to stay away from meat because they just think it helps them physically and spiritually in their walk with Christ. So that is kind of what these people at this time were defining in this passage, to the best of our knowledge, as the weak group. Um, and the strong would look at them and often come down on them like, you need to follow those rules to have faith because we don't need to follow those rules to have faith. When realistically, this whole entire time, the weak are also like, but no, you need, you need these rules to have faith. Like They're going to help you. And the strong are like, no, we don't. So they were just crossing ties left and right, disagreeing on what was needed to have, to have faith in Christ, to have a strong faith. And the people at this time knew when they were reading what the weak and the strong meant. So Paul doesn't, like, exactly to point detail, describe it. But the readers knew exactly who he was talking about, what he was talking about, the foods were, what the drinks were, what the other um, things were that they tied to their faith. But these people knew. And that's not so different than how we are today. So I know a handful of people, um, I know, well, Sophie Potts not here, but I know Sophie deletes TikTok because it doesn't help her faith. Who in this room has TikTok? How often do you think it would help you if you deleted it for your faith? Put your hand up if you think that it would probably be healthy sometimes to do that, it would probably support your faith. I do that too. Or social media altogether. Some people do that and some people get brand new phones, flip phones. I had a few friends in college absolutely ditch their smartphones because they didn't think it helped their faith at all. So we're not too different from them at this time. But does that mean we should look down on one another? The answer is no. So we all have different things. We all have different strengths and weaknesses, just like the Romans at this time, that help us in our faith. But the thing is, we don't always see them the same. And that's okay. What Paul is saying here, so th- th- that's how he defines the strong versus the weak, or that's the value of knowing what those two mean. But now, what does it mean to live in harmony with one another? What is he trying to say here? All right, I need an example of in harmony. Um, I'm gonna count to three, and when I hit three, I want every single boy in the room to do sheesh. One, two, three. Be- beautiful, so good. Was that a great harmony? I thought it was gorgeous. Very good job. Um, So, a harmony is basically (laughs) a harmony is a lot of different voices singing in the same key, making a really good noise together, right? So, that's what a harmony is. They do it every single Sunday morning, Sunday night at worship. Most people do it when they sing. My mom did it, I did it on accident. But we have to live in harmony with one another here is what Paul is saying. We have to live in unity with one another. If you're living in harmony with Jesus, who is the melody, he is the main voice, he is the lead singer, if we're all walking with Jesus and singing in harmony, that makes a beautiful noise, right? But if someone's singing in a different key, does it sound good? No. It doesn't. So that's what he's saying here. So picture a literal harmony because he's asking the people to live in unity. It goes far beyond just music and the notes. He wants them to live in harmony with one another and that means not arguing about strengths and weaknesses but recognizing we all have them and they're all different and we have to bear with one another in them. If someone finds it harder to be in a room with an alcoholic drink, then bear with them, don't have one. If someone finds it difficult to go to certain restaurants or eat certain foods, bear with them. If someone doesn't have social media and the entire conversation you guys are having is about a certain TikTok trend, but this person has no idea because they're abstaining from social media right now for their own reasons, we have to bear with them. We have to stand with them. And that's how we live in harmony with Jesus Christ is bearing with one another in our strengths and weaknesses, not arguing about them and causing tension. So let's look at my youth group again. Do you, were we doing that with the other people on that trip? No, we weren't. We weren't at all. In fact, if we had a garden, there was a barbed wire fence around it. We didn't want any of their help. Like We definitely had our weaknesses. I think they knew we weren't believers yet. By every single possible thing we did that very first day, like they were very aware we did not believe the same things. But if we had our own personal faith garden, we wrote, we put an entire barbed wire fence around it metaphorically, and we did not want them coming in. We didn't want their help. We wanted to water our own garden and take care of it ourselves. We didn't want to grow beautiful, colorful flowers like my mom's pictures or whatever you guys pictured in your garden. I picture like a raspberry bush and like blueberries and stuff. I think if I have a garden someday, that's my choice. We didn't want that. We didn't want their help. We didn't want anything to do with them. We wanted to have our weaknesses and not be helped. And we thought we were way stronger than we were. We were all like-minded in that. And they knew that we were different. They knew we weren't living in harmony with the other youth groups. Everyone there knew. So, how do we figure out if we're the ones not living in harmony. Like, what does that even mean? Like, some of you are probably like, Hannah, I don't care about music. I don't sing. I don't garden. Like, what, how do we do this? This doesn't make any sense. Within a harmony, we all have our own part, right? And this part is your piece. So this is your, your personal garden, your backyard, what you're growing, what you have, what you're sowing, the seeds you've planted. We have to figure out what it is you've been planting, because the thing is, if you're not Living in harmony, that means you're not living in accord with Jesus Christ, who is the melody, which means you're not worshiping him right now. You're worshiping something else. What do you have planted in your garden? You have to do the hard work and dig and figure it out. So this is no longer about the body of Christ because if you're not living in harmony, you have to take a step back and think, this is something with my personal worship with God, what is that? I have to figure it out. I have to go look in the garden and find it. Now how do we do that? Luckily we have scripture that gives us a whole entire large amount of help. If we could put up Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So we did the fun history facts on Romans 15. Now the facts that you need to know about Romans 12.1, so this is by Paul as well to the same group of people, a different chapter, but it's still on the topic of spiritual worship. But the thing is, he doesn't say anything about songs or singing yet again. So what is important to know about this passage then? I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Romans at this time are going to read that and say, excuse me, <laughs> a living sacrifice? because in old testament sacrifices what did they usually do to things they killed them and when they killed them were they did did were they like a perfect sacrifice or a messy sacrifice do you guys know what, what like what was the sacrifices cleanliness level messy it was usually as perfect as they could get it. They wanted the ideal sacrifice. They tried to find the perfect lamb, the perfect animal at that time to sacrifice. It had to be clean and perfect. But he's just saying, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, as in it's already holy and acceptable. We don't have to do anything to it. We don't have to clean it. Present it. And this is your spiritual worship. Now, how is it possible for us to do this? That's the question. And the answer is clearly Jesus, because he was the ultimate final sacrifice. He was the last, absolutely perfect, spotless lamb who was slain, the last one to be slain and have bloodshed for all of our sakes, for all of our lives. And that is how we can now have spiritual worship in this way. We don't have to make sacrifices. We don't have to do things to make ourselves clean and presentable. We don't have to do that. We get to come as we are and be a living sacrifice. That sounds really easy on paper, right? Like, yeah, okay, so do do what God tells me to do. Like, I'm pretty sure the first time I read that, that's probably what I thought. Like, okay, I'm, I'm here. I can do that. But what does that mean? How do we do that? Because if you're still not living in harmony, if you're not living in accord with Jesus Christ, and you read this and you're like, well, I thought I was doing that. And the question is, what or who are you worshiping then, if not God, if not Jesus? And how do we figure that out? I think I have a very cool quote that could be put up in a second. I, again, like I have the privilege of being at Southside Christian School a lot, and I read something very, very profound written by a seventh grader a couple months back, and I had to write it down as well because I was like, that's blowing my mind. To know if something is an idol, you evaluate if it fills your soul. To know if something is an idol, you evaluate if it fills your soul. Because realistically, an idol, in the end of the day, is not gonna fill your soul. And that's a good way of figuring out if it is an idol. Are you doing something? Are you worshiping something? Do you feel like you're continually lifeless and running dry and your energy just isn't there? You don't feel full. You don't feel joy like some of the Christians around you do. You don't love the same way. You haven't felt loved and fully loved in a while. What is it that you're trying to fill your soul with that isn't God because that's what's running you dry? So the question now is, if we're following this train of thought still, What idols are in your life, and that again is like, okay, how? What do you mean? How do I do that? I don't get that. Like literally, like how am I supposed to figure that out? Like, can Matt tell me? I don't know. A super easy way that is almost too convenient is like literally look at your phone. Like I could go to my screen time right now, but that would be embarrassing. We're all (laughs) we're all definitely guilty of the time. Not just it's not just like a the time you spend on your phone kind of thing, but like what is showing up on your pages? Your For You page on TikTok or the Explore page on Instagram or your ads on Facebook and Amazon are all so conveniently designed for you that they show you exactly what's been on your mind and in your heart. Like to a T. They design it for you. Your phones, I swear they hear my thoughts sometimes. Like I'll think a sentence and then I'll open TikTok and it knows exactly what I just thought. I'm like, I'm deleting this app right now. They cannot, <laughs> they cannot see into my soul like that, that's not okay. Um, but literally just look at your phone and if you don't have a phone, if that's not super relevant to you, if you're like, well, okay, I know what I see on my phone, I know what I'm doing wrong. Um, the worship's like, I still don't, like something still isn't clicking. Ask wise counsel around you. Ask your neighbors. Again, think back to the garden. Like sometimes you might be like, all right, I'm going on a trip, I can't water my flowers, I can't take care of my garden. But friends, can you guys go look at it? Can you take care of it? Can you check it for me? Can you make sure everything's growing okay? Just ask them, ask wise counsel, ask people you trust to look because they love you and they wanna take care of you. Ask your neighbors or your teachers, or your pastors, your friends those whom you trust for wise counsel. And if all else fails, (laughs) look in the mirror and pray, honestly. Like, ask God, like, what is it that's in my heart that is holding a space that you should have? Because at the end of the day, your expression to God in worship will be a reflection of your heart and what's in it. So my youth group... (laughs) It was very evident what wasn't in our heart, that wasn't God. It just wasn't. Like, our gardens were dried up and not okay. We were not feeding our relationship with God's life, our relationship with God, life. We weren't giving it sunlight. We weren't taking care of it. We didn't put the plants in the shade that needed to be in the shade. We didn't want anything to do with it. And it was so evident. Our expression to God, which was non-existent, reflected our relationship with God in our heart. Was non existent. That's not always the case. A lot of you are believers, I know that. But we all have our moments where we do have to look back and think, like, God, are you number one right now? Are you what I'm focusing on? And maybe you're thinking, okay, this doesn't apply to me. I'm trying super hard. Like, I'm really worshiping God super well. That's not the problem. The problem is, I feel like I'm almost enslaved to something. I feel like something else is taking over me that I can't help but worship it. Like, it's controlling me and I don't know what to do about it and I feel alone and I don't have neighbors to help come water my flowers and take care of me I don't have anyone else to do that I don't have good friends and wise counsel I don't know who to ask I don't know who's helping I don't know what to do it's like a storm is wiping out my garden it's going to be non-existent tomorrow it's a there's a hurricane blowing through God is already tending to your heart God is chasing after us. He wants us. (laughs) He wants to be a part of your life. Because realistically, maybe the storm is taking out the garden because it needs to be taken out. Maybe he wants to absolutely uproot everything you've put in it, every single seed you've planted that isn't supposed to be there. I know he's done that in my life, and any leader in the room could say that, like God has uprooted things inside of me that did not need to be there where he should have been. Where he should hold the place he's tending to your heart he's uprooting things from you the storm is meant to be there you're not alone he's surrounding you (laughs) he's absolutely around you so now what do we do maybe you're ready to do some digging you're ready to figure out because you want to go through this whole chain you want to worship god you want to get rid of the idols in your life you want to be a part of a relationship with him so that you can come to be a part of this thing that we know as kingdom community, this group of believers that you can worship in harmony and be in unity and sing along with the melody that is the story of Jesus Christ. You want to be a part of this. Like you want this. We've been talking about it this whole time. Worship is to give up our lives and lift up our Savior. So maybe we've been spending too much time trying to control it ourselves. We've been trying so hard to do everything perfectly. We've been trying to make the perfect grades, do the right thing all the time, impress every single person around us, so much so that everything we're doing has become our worship, and that's not what God wants us to do. That's not what Jesus came to set us free from. We are to give up our lives, to let go, to release, to relinquish, and lift up our Savior, because he already did that. He was the last, last perfect spotless lamb so that we can live our lives as a life of worship, holy and acceptable to God. Maybe at this time you're thinking, well, okay, I'm still a little confused as to what to do about my hands during worship. I still don't get it. They still like, stay at my sides. I don't understand it. I don't know what to do. Musical worship is just one expression. There's so many different things you can do to cultivate your worship life with God. And I can't give you the perfect answer because you guys, I like to sing. I love to sing. That's my, that's my vehicle of choice. It's like when you're at a restaurant and you really want some food. Like, I go there and I'm like, well, I'll have anything that I can eat ranch dressing with. So I think about, like, this is going somewhere good, I promise. Uh, so for me, chicken wings are a vehicle for ranch dressing. Picture this with me, or maybe it's peanut butter. Your vehicle of choice for peanut butter is apple slices. Maybe you really like celery. I don't. So for worship, my vehicle of choice for worshiping God is always song, a go-to song, like I will sing in my car at 11 p.m., 8 a.m., whatever it is. But maybe yours is solitude. Maybe yours is prayer, thankfulness, joyfulness, I recommend looking into it and figuring out what it is. Because if song isn't for you, we're all created to worship God. So there's, there's a way for you to do it. There's a way for you express, for you to express your heart to God. I think the thing we need to worry about is not the direction of our hands, so to speak, but the posture of your heart. At the core of it, that's what it is. That's what Jesus is chasing after. There is no darkness that can overtake you. No Addiction, no other idol, nothing that can fill your soul other than God. Literally nothing. So he wants your heart. He wants to tear through the darkness. He wants to rip apart whatever it is you think is overtaking you. And he already is. He has been doing it. He's been tending to your heart. It's a slow seed. Like I said, my whole entire senior year of high school, that was growing so slowly. I don't think anyone would have believed in my faith then if they saw me and believed I was the same person as I am now. And it's going to be the same way for all of you guys. You're going to grow and change so much. He grows things slowly. The vine in my mom's garden didn't grow overnight. That took like 10 years. Like (laughs) That took a long time. You have to tend to gardens and cultivate them, fertilize them, water them, move the plants, shift them, trim the weeds. It takes a lot of time and work and patience. But He's already doing it with you. So find some good neighbors to help you and take care of you when you can't always water your garden. Maybe you don't have the right tools. Surround yourself with the right people and the right crowd and turn your heart towards God. He's going to grow something very beautiful. So now together, before we transition back into, I think, one more song, the worship band can come back up now. Something really cool I want to do, I'm also inviting up pretty much anyone who's like led at FGS. I, in my return to trying to love hymnals again, have fallen in love with the doxology. There's something very beautiful about singing the doxology with as many harmonies as possible. So I want you guys to stand. (laughs) And together, we're going to sing the doxology. If you have to, close your eyes. Maybe you want to sit and reflect on the words. That's totally okay, too. But together, we're going to stand up and sing the doxology as loudly as we can. The words are on the screen. We're just going to do... One verse. I think there's three up there. So just literally focus on that top section. And then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go back into worship. Let me pull up our sweet little piano app. And in this moment, I want you guys to think about this. We're standing together as the body of Christ, uniting under one song in harmony with one another, and Jesus is the melody, but the melody will in fact be sung by Landon and Jesse at this moment. Um, But... (laughs) And just think about the presence that we are in together as the body of Christ and what this means and express it together with the loudest singing voice you've had all night. Okay? Praise God I thank you for this time that we get to be together and praise you as one body of Christ and with our own worship to you God I thank you so much for the way that you've worked in our hearts you are and will and I pray that we just open them up to you and that you tend to us and that you take care of us and we work alongside you and not against you we let you uproot things that need to be uprooted and we love you in return and we worship you and praise you however that may be and that we look to you for life. We look to you for salvation and light and allow you to rip through the darkness, God. I thank you so much for everything you're doing and everything you will do in our hearts and in our lives and in this body of Christ. In your name I pray. Amen.